top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already down. know. You it's more already know. I think that's how it always goes. Like 45 minutes, and we were at like Chelsea. What are we doing? Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Kessler. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Hey, it's Top Ben's time. What's up? We're back. Welcome back to Top Bins, the show bringing you all the action from Premier League, Serie A, England, and Italy. I am your host, Matt, joined by my co-host, Dom. Dom, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, a little embarrassed. A little embarrassed uh, because of the uh, the slowly, uh, the, the newest clip on our on our instagram page uh is slowly gaining quite the uh quite the popularity yeah Don, i'm gonna My tell you just hat. be a little careful be a little careful when you're drinking that tonight uh because last be week last week we almost lost you to a to a vitamin water of all things by the way i think that would have been deeply ironic if the thing that is branded to be giving you a little boost for your life actually took yours uh, i'm glad you're still with us um, sponsor check us out, <laughs> check out dom uh Doing an impromptu cleaning session of his uh, of his keyboard and his his desk, I would encourage you to check us out on Instagram. But uh, we got we got quite a bit to talk about, at least in terms of big picture stuff. Maybe not the volume that we've had in other weeks, but uh, some big happenings over the past week, especially at the midweek games. We're going to start in England with the story, with the game that I think we've all been looking forward to, projecting and talking about for really the past like two or three months, not even just the past few weeks, you know, we've had this idea that it's been a, a title race between Manchester City and Arsenal. You know, we uh, we had a delay, uh, a postponement in and then playing each other. And you know, we, we knew that this was going to come to a head in April and it did. And it was, I think, not quite a contest. Uh, Arsenal had to go to Manchester and get a positive result. Really, even just a draw, I think, uh, would have been pretty favorable to them. And they did not come, frankly, very close to that. Manchester City 4, Arsenal 1. It is now solely in Manchester City's uh, you know, hands. The, the, the destiny of the Premier League season is now fully in their control. Arsenal lost control of the title race. Doesn't mean they're out of it, um, but it is also hard to see Manchester City ceding uh, control and power now. It essentially, you know, is up to Arsenal to basically win out the rest of the season to give themselves the best chance of making sure that they keep the lead against City. They have to hope that City drops points at some point because City has two games in hand. So, like, it's not looking good for, for Arsenal at the moment. City's in amazing form, and they just ran away with this game. Like, early on, they were in control, getting chances, and a lot of the Arsenal chances – you know, that even just ended up on shots, not not even on goal. Like, they're not very, like, quality-taken chances. And, and, you know, like, 
it's, it's kind of worrisome when you have three draws and a loss in your last five. It's, I can only see like what we talked about the last two weeks. It's almost like you, you knew it was going to happen, Matt, right? Like city city just has a way pep just has a way of getting his team back into the first place title spot. Like, it doesn't matter how many points behind. It's like Real and the Champions League. They're going to always just find a way to win it. Yeah, I, I didn't take any joy. I was I was genuinely trying to alert <laughs> you to the fact that I've seen this happen before. I've lived this experience, and this is what Manchester City have done. I think, I think now that it is happening to a non-Liverpool team, it's happening to another big club, I think the fans of that club realize like, oh, yeah, this is – you have to be perfect to beat this team, you know? Mm-hmm. I think Arsenal, you know, obviously so much of the attention and what we're talking about is on this game, but, you know, you mentioned it, uh, the drop points in the weeks leading up to this. You know, they, they draw after going 2-0 up against Liverpool. They draw after going 2-0 up um, against West Ham. And then they tr- have to fight back after going 2-0 down against Southampton at home, 3-1 down at one point in that game, 3-1 down in the last, uh, like, five minutes of the game before they stage a comeback. So they're actually, in some ways maybe even a little fortunate to end up with a point after the game. I um, It's it's hard to say, right? I, I, I think the, the biggest separator is just the fact, and, and we've mentioned that City, a large core of this team, have been a part of those title races in the past seasons. And there just is a component to knowing how to navigate those big pressure games. And the build-up to those games is much different now. And I think you saw that very much in, in the Manchester City-Arsenal game where I, I thought it was, it was over within five minutes because just the, you could tell by the, the attitude and the, the body language and the way players were moving towards and away from the ball on, on both sides. I, I just, it was to me like they are not here for this game. Like there's yeah. a, there's a definitely a, a stratosphere that city are on that, that Arsenal are not on. Um, and so, you know, and, and that's been the case when they played all season, by the way, too. I really, it's not been hugely competitive when these two teams have played each other. Um, City have won every fair. In fact, City have won the last 12 Premier League meetings between these two teams. So it has been a really one-way street uh, all the way. I, I, If I'm a Norse fan, I'm, I'm maybe a little frustrated walking away from this game just in terms of the competitiveness on it. It's 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 one thing to go to, to Etihad and lose, but um, to lose in that manner, I think, stings just a little bit more. I think the perspective should also be that no one expected Arsenal to be in this situation at the beginning of the second. It's hard mm-hmm. to say that when you're in the middle of the tires, but well, you know, you didn't think we were going to be here to begin with, but th- it is the truth. I, I, I do think, you know, they technically actually confirmed champions league uh, qualification because Brighton lost. Um, so that was their goal coming into the year. They've achieved that goal. The title is not completely dead. You know, they, they still have an opportunity technically um, how likely that is. You know, let, let's be real. I, I'm, I'm not totally convinced, but I do think you think about this season uh, pretty positively still if you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah. I mean, it does kind of sting a bit for, for like longtime Arsenal fans because they've seen this happen to them multiple times, like in the 2000s to United. So, you know, it's it, it, it is tough as an Arsenal fan to see that happen. But, you know, bring a little cross sport uh, reference in here. But uh, Giannis last night, uh, talking about like when asked if the season was a failure because you know they got bounced in the first round of the playoffs like you can't ever look at something like that as a failure especially when you've over overachieved in certain aspects like 
who knew that like Arsenal was going to hold down first place for a majority of the season. And then, you know, it comes down to giving city a run for their money this season when most people would think it's like Liverpool or, or, you know, United was playing well, or like if that wasn't the case, city was just supposed to run away with the league. Anyway, nobody thought of Arsenal would be like this. So you can't really look at this season as a failure. However, you know, it does sting a little bit for the older Arsenal fans. Like the younger, the younger generation doesn't like know that kind of feeling. It's always been like kind of just mediocre Arsenal their whole life. So they're absolutely buzzing. They love this. They're not going to give up until, you know, the fat lady sings and they see that city ends up, you know, just overtaking their form. They're in, like you said, they're in a different stratosphere. It, yeah. It, so Arsenal are the, the first side to go four consecutive Premier League games winless while starting the day top for each match since Arsenal themselves in March 2008. Uh, that's from off the Joe. Everyone kind of remembers, I think, that collapse uh, at the 07-08 title. Uh, what they thought was going to be a title season. Um, and, you know, that that's you to talk about fading down the stretch. I, I think they had a really, really bad finish that season after that, too. Um, and, you know, they, they obviously had some key injuries to hit, unfortunately, for them. But, yeah, it, it does uh, – you know, it is what it is, I think, for Arsenal now. I, I, I think they've reserved themselves to the fact that um, maybe the title isn't on, but, you know, there's there's a lot to be positive about. Um, within this game, Erling Holland moves past Salah. Uh, he now has the, the Premier League uh, single-season goal record. There's some other, like, English domestic leagues because, you know, it wasn't always the Premier League, of course. He used to just be the, the top flight or uh, whatever. And so, you know, there's some other records for him to chase. He has seven games to do that. Uh, he averages about a goal a game. So he could get to 40. He could get to the low 40s with uh, with some some ease, I think, especially if he lets his hair down again. Because uh, the-, <laughs> the Viking celebration was immense. That that was the scenes that the Eddie had. Like, crazy. Yeah. So I'm shout kidding. out to Al. I, I was actually watching this with my wife, and she was like, who is that man? He is so ugly. I was like, well, he's a robot. So That's maybe. Ragnar Lothbrok himself. He was, <laughs> like, he was not built for beauty. He was built to kill. And he was like, um, I want to talk about this because one man who had a hell of a game, so much so that he said he had to do about 15 interviews, um, and then when he got back to the locker room, almost everyone had left by then because he that was a man in such high demand to talk about his performances. Kevin De Bruyne who has had for talking about guys that need a better PR team. I think part of it is just, we've seen him do it so many times, but um, you know, he's pretty amazing. And we've not been, in the world. we've not been shy about talking about his place in Premier League history. And uh, uh, you know, it's, it's starting to get really hard to not call him the best Premier League midfielder ever. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't Listen. know who else. If you're if you're tipping that hat as a as a fan of you know somebody who could argue like your favorite player is one of the three like midfielders that could have said like best Premier League midfielder ever right you're tipping your hat that says a lot like there aren't too many people that are at that level for, as Kevin De Bruyne the there are three players passes, there are three the players that score. immediately come to mind when it when it comes to like best midfielders in a Premier League era. It's Gerard Lampard and Vieira for me personally. I think other people maybe you know skulls. Well, I skulls to me is like not, and that's part of that is my bias. Part <laughs> of that is I think skulls is wildly overrated because he played for so long. I think people give him a lot of credit for just playing for a very long time, mm-hmm. which is impressive. And 
he was obviously part of some very good Manchester United teams and not denying that. And he was a good player, but I, he's not on the same tier as those three. Like, in fact, in my opinion, not even close. Kevin De Bruyne, however, is. And by the Next way, he's on, he's on 16 assists. Premier League record is 20. Seven games to go. You know, it's, it's – uh, I just think – and the thing about De Bruyne is, too, is that he really does have a knack in big games of coming up with big performances. Um, this is not the first time that he has been in a, a title uh, clinching match or deciding match or a very just a, a big domestic game, and he has come up in big moments. Um, he's done that time and time again for Manchester City. Um, you talk about just, like, you know, achievements. I mean, this is going to – this is a guy that – uh, probably he's going to be player of the year this year, but he's already won two of them, which is not easy to do as a midfielder. Um, you know, that's a award that is typically going to go to an attacker, right? Someone that's scoring a lot of goals. We've seen it get spread around over the years, but in general, not necessarily easy for a midfielder to win that award, let alone twice. And, um, you know, going to have a handful of Premier League titles. Could be a part, by the way, of the Manchester City treble team. You know, that is on the table for them this season. You know, it seems like they're going to be uh, heading towards the Premier League title. They're in the semifinals of the Champions League. They're in the final of the FA Cup against Manchester United. Um, I was texting with uh, one of my Manchester United friends, and I was saying how funny would it be if, you know, you have the opportunity now to at least help stop them uh, when they're trouble, just keep them to a, a Premier League and Champions League. I can only imagine what he said about that. <laughs> he was like, I didn't even think of that. Um, <laughs> And I, I feel bad that I introduced that pain into his life, but <laughs> I just, you know, and he's 31. I think he's still got probably like two or three years left of like good Kevin De Bruyne. I mean, mm -hmm. you look at what Luka Modric is doing. <laughs> it's like, maybe you've got 70 years left. <laughs> Who knows? But um, I, I do. Have, I have a question for you though. When do you think Pep starts to build the next generation of this city squad? Like, right. You, the the best managers like start to buy players and make transactions and sell players like when they're at the top so they can either continue to stay or even if they you know struggle a little bit they'll be set to get there quickly you know what i mean like so when do you think like some of these players are getting sold when like cities you know going to part ways with certain people like do you think that Kevin De Bruyne could be involved with some of that? Like if another big club comes with like a massive sum? I would be surprised um, just given his age, you know, if he was maybe 26, 27, maybe he thinks I've won so much at city and, you know, I could go have like a second chapter somewhere else. I think at this point, and he, you know, he has a, he's a family as well. I think that's something people mm -hmm. don't consider enough is that, you know, when you have your children there and you have your, your partner there, it is easy to just be like, it's better for us to stay in one spot and maybe not move too much. It's a good point. Um, I think City have evolved multiple times over Pep's career already there. You know, and he's, he's only been there, what, mm -hmm. six, seven seasons. Um, but, you know, you can remember those early Pep teams. It was a lot of speed, uh, especially on the wings. You know, I, I'm talking about like Leroy Sané days, Raheem Sterling days, um, you know, that's not really the way that they play anymore. Uh, I, I think that this is actually some of the slowest outside of Holland. This is like one of the slowest city teams. Uh, they're a little more methodical now. You know, you have like Grealish playing on the wing, right? Um, who's a little bit more of like a 10 that drifts wide. Same with Riyad Mahrez, you know, sort of like yeah. a 10 that drifts up. They're not like traditional wingers in the sense that they used to have. Like, used to be all the way to the touchline. Now it's drift inside a little more, find your space. 
open up space for Erling Haaland to break the line. You let Kevin De Bruyne drift to that right side a lot where he's so dangerous pinging in balls. Like, mm-hmm. I think they have evolved constantly over Pep's career already. Um, they're not a team that has to sell players. And that is, you know, one of the discussion points about this is this is a team that has pretty much bottomless funds and have been able to buy as much as they want with no fear of, well, if we got buy this guy for 60 million, it doesn't work out. That's going to put us in a tough spot. You know, they'll just go buy another one. And, uh, you know, they, they were able to, to bin off Jao Cancelo, right? This season, uh, one of uh, the, the best fullbacks in the Premier League last season, like it was, and it did not affect them. In fact, they've only been better. better. Jao Cancelo left, you know, I, I think you could draw a pretty clear line there. So, um, as they evolve, you know, I think Erling Holland is a step towards that. Uh, you know, they, they really hadn't played with an established striker in for really all of Pep Guardiola's time there. You know, they had Aguero a little bit, um, but even then, you know, he was struggling to get like full, you know, like low 30s, you know, in terms of like match involvements within the league. Um, you know, he was, he was having a little uh, trouble like staying healthy during Pep's time there. They really haven't played with a number nine. I could say you, you could say that having Holland himself is already a little bit of an evolution. Um, and again, when you have just the money and again, the infrastructure that they have that comes along with that, you have Pep Guardiola, it's hard to see them not just continuing to win. That is, well, that is the reality. Well, that's the thing is like when Holland came in, remember City struggled for a little bit early on, like creating chances. It seemed very stagnant because they were still trying to play that wide and fast style. And Pep just like tactically has evolved his team over the course of the season. And, and now he's got the right players in the right spots and they're doing exactly what they need to do. And they're clicking on all cylinders. It's like, it's a scary thing. When, when Pep Guardiola has a team like that, it's scary. Like you got to think the, the sextuple team at, at Barcelona, nobody was ever beating that team. Absolutely. That, yeah. You know, absolutely. So like when, when, when Pep's got a team of, of, of high quality players, you've got, Kevin De Bruyne, who's the best midfielder in the world and, and a supporting cast and, and probably the hottest number nine in world football as well right now. How are they going to lose? You know, it's still like, I, I still think ultimately, you know, Champions League is their ultimate goal, whether they say that or not. Um, oh, I still think it has to be. I still think that has to be. And, you know, the Champions League, why it's so hard to win is because, you're playing the very best, and the margins are very thin. It doesn't matter how great of a team you are. I think you could say in a lot of years with the Champions League that not necessarily the best team wins it, right? Like, there there are definitely years where, like, it feels like a very good team maybe bounces early because of a bad matchup. But then again, you know, you have to win the games. You have to you have to find your way through. You have to outlast your opponents in some ways. So you have not been able to do that. They certainly seem like they're capable of doing that this year. The funny thing is, again, though, that they're coming up against the Black Magic men themselves uh, in Real Madrid. So we'll see how how that pans out. Um, but it does feel like City are hitting, you know, Arsenal and City, I think, are just going opposite directions. Arsenal having kind of their worst run of the season. City are, are clearly shaping into form into their best. They've won seven straight in the Premier League. The last time they've lost a game was February 5th. Like, they have just been on a run. And um, not surprising. I, I'll just say, I'm not surprised by any of this. Let's look at the bottom of the table. Everton drop again. Uh, they, they lose to Newcastle in, uh, in pretty bad fashion. Um, and the trouble for them is Nottingham Forest got a pretty big win over Brighton. Uh, unexpected to my mind. Um, you know, Brighton helped Arsenal out by, by pushing them to the Champions League. And they really didn't help Everton out by giving uh, Nottingham Forest a little rope to pull themselves out of the relegation zone. Um, 
we've talked a lot about the relegation battle and what that's looking like in the Premier League, and it continues to be a really, really tight affair. However, I think there are some teams we can start to cross off. Bournemouth with another win. It really seems like Bournemouth have just found a way to get themselves out of that spot. Um, West Ham have, have gotten on a decent run. They've gotten they got two wins in their last five. Um, it feels like, you know, they've, they've separated themselves. There are five teams now that I think, um, and any five of these teams could go down, and I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't know that any of them necessarily deserve to be in the Premier League uh, based off their performances this year. We've got Leeds and Nottingham Forest both sitting at 30, Leicester City with 29, Everton with 28, and bottom is Southampton with 24. It does feel like Southampton are, uh, are drawing blank here and will be down to the championship. But for Everton... Not a great, uh, not a great result. They play Leicester though. That is a massive game uh, with massive implications for both clubs because relegation would not be kind to either Leicester or Everton. Both of those mm-hmm. teams I think, would be in a lot of trouble um, if they find themselves in the championship. And Leeds plays Bournemouth. And Forest plays Brentford. So there could be drop points for those two teams and help either Leicester or Everton get out of the relegation zone. Uh, and make it a lot more tight. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, Everton, um, tough moment today. Uh, I, they, they just they have not looked like they, they've turned a corner in any way. They've got, they had a few decent results under Deich, but have not been able to string any consistency together. And, uh, you know, Leeds finally you know, broke a little bit of a streak. They were back to conceding four or five, six goals a game. Um, they, they, they muted that down a little bit, but um, still a struggle for them. The, the bottom of the table is constantly a little bit of a revolving door. Today, we had Manchester United and Tottenham Hotspur, which is a, a really fun game. United were 2-0 up Spurs, uh, come from behind to get a draw at least, which was a, a good turnaround from what was one of the most shocking games I've, I've ever seen. Um, Newcastle United were 5-0 up after 20 minutes, and it could have been more, and it could have been way worse as the game went on. It honestly, I, I've never seen two teams near the top of the table like that be so far apart in quality. I mean, it, it's just so rare. You see that occasionally in, in the top leagues, right, where a team near the top of the table plays a, a team near the bottom of the table, and you can just tell there's a, there's a golf in quality. Maybe they, just, they caught them on a really bad day, too. Um, I don't know what happened with that Spurs implosion, but, uh, you know, they, they lose Stellini after that game. Um, they, they, when you're firing the interim manager, if you already fired your real manager, I, you know, that's I've never t- even seen scenes like that in Milan's banter era. That's crazy. That's nuts. That is tough. It is, it is really tough. So they at least had some, uh, some, some mental rebound today. I think that that serves them well because they do have Liverpool at the weekend. Um, and that's, that's a big game, of course, for both teams, you know, Spurs trying to, to, find their their self back in Europe at least Liverpool of course also trying to get in Europe even still trying to like both these clubs are trying to hound down uh Champions League spots who knows if, if that'll end up happening I don't personally see it at least for Liverpool um so yeah good for Spurs at least it was one of the worst losses uh that they've had in a year of total crap I think and uh I think uh, they'll have some big questions to answer in the in the summer though because to say, uh, you know, they missed out on Champions League. There's been a lot of a lot of talk in the last few weeks about Harry Kane and his future, um, and whether that's in Manchester, whether that's in Munich, who knows? I think that'll be something. Can that, you uh, see Harry Kane leaving the country though? Um, 
it would be hard for me to see. I think if he did go, Byron is one of the few places I could see it going because Byron have a, a clear need at number nine. They don't have an established striker. They could use that. Uh, I think it would appeal for him in the sense of like it's a it's a big club with a lot of history. He can certainly win trophies there. Um, I, I I don't know. I I think that's really one of the only places I can see him going, and that I think makes any kind of sense. He's not going to Milan, Don. I'm so sorry, but that's not happening. Um, I Milan do not have the money either. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be like 150, I think, to to get Harry Kane. And, that's actually uh, nuts. I, I just don't think that. Uh, that no offense, but I don't know that Milan have that money. Maybe you know, maybe work out a Rafa Leal deal. You know, no. Nah, if we won the Champions League, listen, let's, you know, Harry Kane in. All the money, yeah. just go to a number nine. All the money. <laughs> oh, I am sure that is exactly how it'll happen. Well, let's move to Italy, Dom, the land of the champions, of course. Inter and Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia final. Um, it's been a we, – we highlighted that these two teams are just having a funny kind of season um, in that they both could have cup doubles yet I think are probably going to be a little disappointed about their league position. You know, Fiorentina, we're probably hoping to break into the top six. You know, maybe get European qualifi- qualification through their league placements and enter. I think probably coming into the season would have been hoping to be back fighting for the title. At least I thought that they were capable of at least uh, being in that fight with Milan again. Um, have not done so. I've been really inconsistent in the league, actually, although they had a nice win over Empoli over the weekend. Romelu Lukaku, by the way, getting his first Goal from open play since when, Dom? When was the last time Romelu Lukaku scored from open play in Syria? It had to be his first season at Inter, correct? No, it is. It was this year. Oh, it's this year. Okay, just barely, but the uh, October, August. It was his first open play goal since August. Uh, I was being generous. Did have a double. Good for him. Um, October, I think he was dealing with that injury. He had that injury uh, in in the lead up to the World Cup, which was a, a bit of a problem. But, yeah, I, it's funny, just like I said, because both of these teams, I think, probably a little disappointed where they've been in the league, yet could have an amazing season. You know, I think Inter could win the Copa Italia two years running, could be in a Champions League final. No, 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 no. I'm just saying they could. I, you know, Dovre. Um <laughs> Fiorentina could, you know, they, they found themselves into the semifinals of the Europa Conference League, could be in a, a European final. That'd be a big step for them. We all want to see that happen. Uh, you know, could potentially win the Copa Italia. I mean, those are, those are big steps for Fiorentina, right? Like they've, you know, I, I think, and if you sacrifice, you know, maybe not having Europe next year, depending what happens in Europa Conference League, of course, but um, for, for two trophies or a trophy, uh, you know, like that's a sign of progress, uh, meaningful uh-huh. progress too. Um, both those teams too, like on their day, I think, can can win a game so i'm excited to see that final because they've been uh two two very interesting stories this season um obviously you know i got a i got a little love for uh for the viola so i'll uh i'll be hoping be hoping that uh you know they find their way to winning uh a little copa italia juventus dumb they are uh <laughs> i don't get this team man they are back in the mix they got their 15 points back yeah, but it's yeah. funny. They, they're they back in the mix, but they lost their last three games. That is what's funny about this, it truly, is that, you know, when they had their deduction, um, they were still playing very well. We were even joking about them potentially just still qualifying for Europe anyway, despite the fact that, uh, you know, they would, you know, that they, they lost 15 points, but they were just playing that well, or at least winning that often, I should say. 
that haven't necessarily played well this year at any point, but they joined the 15 points back. We were talking about this a little bit last week because there was like a lot of news about what was happening and, and were they getting these points back? Yes or no. I think what's interesting is that it's not settled yet that they firmly have these 15 points. Uh, it, there was an appeal the appeal said that they were going to overturn this, but there's a further sort of like judgment that still has to be made. So it's not final by any means. It is tough though. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's probably frustrating for anyone in Milan or Rome mm-hmm. uh, for, to, to deal with this because you, know, you feel like you had top four, not locked up, but you were in a strong position for top four. And now uh, Roma are fighting for, for Champions League spots again. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that is a, a frustrating moment. So we'll see how the Juventus story kind of, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind of works over the, uh, the, the next few weeks and months and see what kind of punishment they do end up getting if it is a, a points uh, deduction, whatever. Yeah, listen, as long as, you know, Milan and Roma keep it close, you know, if Juventus does get a point deduction, I would assume it's more than three points. So, you know, as they can keep this pressure, I mean, look, the winner of that Milan-Roma game, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, like the stipulations are kind of huge because Bologna can steal points from Juventus. Bologna is not a bad team this year and they're in decent form. So, you know, a three-point lead over fourth and fifth place and, and you know, sixth place is kind of knocking on the door. Juventus could easily fall out of this anyway if they don't turn things around because who knows, this appeal can lead to more points being taken off. Yeah, I mean, they still have, um, you know, Juventus, I, I do have this in their back pocket that they're in the semifinals of the Europa League against Sevilla, um, who, of course, worked their version of uh, European black magic um, against Manchester United and, and dropped them out of the competition. So they do still have a pathway pretty definitively to being in the Champions League, um, you know, should they progress to the final and win the Europa League. Uh, but, you know, they do have a, a daunting schedule. We talked about that penultimate game of the season, Juventus against Milan. That has certainly taken on some extra weight, uh, you know, in yep. the, the wake of, of these announcements. Um, speaking of creeping up and, and some things changing, Hellas Verona seemed dead in the water for a good chunk of this season. And I wonder if we're going to get a little bit of like a, almost like a Salernitana revival, you know, where it feels like a team all year you're looking at the table, watching them play and think, I just don't know that they're making that as well. They're making it out of this maybe. Uh, they're they're certainly at least making an attempt. Uh, they find themselves now with 26 points. Spezia just a point ahead of them with 27. Lecce also close to the drain. It does feel like Cremonese and Sampdoria, God rest their souls, are certainly headed for Serie B. But, you know, Hellas Verona have made a, a nice account for themselves. They play Cremonese this weekend. It is an opportunity to potentially leapfrog one of, if not both, Spezia and Lecce. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a great escape necessarily, but Hellas Verona making it out would be very, very impressive. Yeah. I mean, Spezia plays Monza and Lecce plays Udinese. I, I can only see Udinese winning that game. And uh, at best for Spezia, they get a draw. So it's big for Hellas Verona this week, playing one of the two teams that are definitely getting relegated. Um, got some exciting stuff to watch. Um, I do... I am surprised that like Empoli has been decent enough to now kind of basically ensure their safety. Uh, And the Salerno boys, we were, we were scared about them for a little bit in the beginning of the season. Now they're 
basically safe, I would say. They're unbeaten in five, you know. Four yeah. of those were draws, but, you know. It doesn't matter. It <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, the top of the table is getting boring now. Is Napoli is is like a game away, basically, from being mathematically like winning the title. So, yeah, they can uh, they can clinch it this weekend uh, with a win. And I I don't know if you saw too like the scenes when the players returned to to Naples and their bus at like two or three in the morning, all the uh, the motorcycles behind the the team bus welcoming them back um that city is ready to explode with the party mm-hmm. <laughs> they deserve it too by the way you know they, they talk about a it's been a, a long time coming in a, in a fan base too that i think uh very passionate obviously about their team about their city um it is nice to see them rewarded with you know in some ways it, it would be a little more romantic for napoli to have won it like in the final day you know because it just feels like that's i think it's also nice for them to have had this kind of they'll have this procession they'll have a lot of time I think to really soak it in and, and enjoy the fact that they finally won a title again. And um, they deserve it though, because like in the in the twenty tens when they were really the only team that could have challenged Juventus to to kind of break up that decade of dominance Juventus held on the league. Like it, it was so close. They 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 put up like record numbers, and Juventus still like just beat that, beat them out to it. So you know the, the Napolitani of they're they're waiting they're they want this they can't believe that you know it's finally here and and you know more than likely they're gonna have it they played great football all year you know my hat's off to them they made they made the league tough and and when milan met them in the champions league like i was not confident at all (laughs) this team has just been playing so well so they de- they definitely deserve to win the league. I mean, the, the, I saw a TikTok. There was like an American uh, woman that lives like in in the Bay of Naples, mm-hmm. and and uh, the American embassy sent out like this letter to all of, like the Americans that that are living out there, like warning them, like, hey, the Italian Serie A like uh, is getting close to being won by Napoli, and this weekend they can basically clinch it. So just be prepared for lots of fireworks and more traffic than usual. And <laughs> I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be nuts in that city. Yeah, so I, yeah, like I said, the, it's, we're going to see Philadelphia-esque celebrations in I the mean, streets there's of a, Napoli. There's a spiritual linkage. Yeah, right. The two. They're, they're not quite – Philly isn't quite a port city in the way that, like, Naples is. Uh, but there is definitely um, – I always find myself liking Napoli a little bit too because I definitely see some similarities between Liverpool as well and, and part of what attracts me. Liverpool is like – it feels like a very like – there's an identity about being from Liverpool, being from Naples, um, you know, and you feel maybe a little apart from your country, right? You feel like it's its own kind of place and it has its own distinct, I think, um, atmosphere and hard to understand at times language, <laughs> um, you know, and it, and I think it gives, I think it gives also the people to a little, a little like uniqueness. I think they're, they're very unique places that are very passionate. Um, and I love that. I, I love that about Naples. So I'm excited for them. Awesome. Dom, hmm. look at the head to the weekend. we got Roma, AC Milan at the weekend. Both of these teams really need to be in the Champions League next year. Milan still technically, and actually so does Roma, they technically still could be in the Champions League, even if their league position 
does not does not get them there. They Milan could win the Champions League, which would not obviously just give them the Champions League, but also make sure they're back in the competition next year in the top seed. If Roma are able to advance from the Europa League semifinals, go to the final and win it, they would also qualify for the Champions League. But might be better just to assure yourself by finishing in the top four, have that wrapped up, not even have that extra weight on you, not even have that extra concern. Both these teams need this win. They play at the weekend. What are what are your thoughts? Milan need it more. Um, <laughs> that's not just my biased opinion; it's the truth. Like, do Milan look, need it more, or does Dom need it more? <laughs> for my sanity, <laughs> um, no. But but I think who does Roma play in their semifinal matchup? Uh, they play Leverkusen, uh, right? Leverkusen. Xabi Alonso's Leverkusen, by the way. Uh, He's got them playing well. He's got them playing very well, yeah. But Shabby, what I, are you doing in like uh, like three years, four years? What are you doing? What are you... Um, but yeah, like the I think that they could get through Leverkusen, and it would be an all Italian Europa League final would be kind of cool to see. Um, and I th- I do think that uh, if Roma do get to the final, they are going to win the Europa League. So. Um, I think they have a better chance of getting it if they miss out on the Champions League spot in the league. Milan has a very tough task. Like They have to play Inter. They just have not played well against Inter at all this season. Hakan Shahanoglu seems to come back and haunt them. He plays with a chip on his shoulder every time they play. Um, And then even if Milan do get past Inter, you got to play either the most informed team in the world right now or the one with more championship, like the only team with more UEFA Champions League uh, pedigree than Milan. And they just like, have a way of winning. And and so Milan's path to the Champions League, if they miss out in the league, is way harder. So they need to make sure that they ensure this. This, especially given, like, let's say Juventus lose to Bologna, Milan tie with Juventus on points. And they have a chance to increase that lead from from Roma uh, and really, you know, kind of ensure their Champions League qualification. They need the win. They cannot drop points. It cannot be a draw. Um, You know, Milan have just less losses than Roma, and that's what put them in fourth over fifth. It's they have the same goal differential, the same amount of points. I'm pretty sure Milan has the head-to-head against Roma as well, correct? Uh, I don't recall what the previous – I'm looking at it up right now what the previous result was. I wouldn't say it was a draw, um, but let me find that for sure. Uh, yeah, like, it was 2-2. Okay, because like, like Roma has one more win than Milan, but Milan collapse, has two less draws. That was a, a Milan collapse, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes, was it was. The, the comeback in yes. the last – like. I may have so, Vietnam could, flashbacks every now and then with that one, but could could regret that potentially. <laughs> I mean, Roma have I think the harder run in than Milan. Um, you know, Milan don't have uh, you know they, they have said the we play League, Inter and then have to play either City or Real. No, but I'm saying like in the league. I'm talking about the league. Come on, oh, you have to like okay, you have okay. Roma this okay. weekend. Then you have you have Lazio um, in the league remaining, and then Juventus on that penultimate day. 
in between that, you have Spezia, Sampdoria, Hellas, Verona. I know we just talked I about don't Hellas, like Verona, that. maybe. Because we're going to drop points. You, you're playing like all the bottom four. We're going to uh, drop points against Spezia. I'm telling you right now. Okay, but I'm, uh, also, if you had to pick your opponents, Dom, you literally have the bottom four to play. <laughs> it, like, it actually, true, like, statistically. Yeah, but wait, who does Roma play? It statistically does not. Here, here is who Inter, ha, um, Inter. Here is who Roma has remained. They have Milan at the weekend. They have Monza, then Inter, then Bologna, um, Salernitana, Fiorentina, Spezia. They have a much more challenging that run is, than Milan. Yes. You you cannot tell yes. me. I know that I'm you, not denying that. I it's different when it's that. your own team and you like to get all crazy and like, oh, we're never gonna win again. But you would literally play the bottom yeah, four. Of the I am, you cannot I am hand a, pick. You cannot hand pick a better run in in a lot of ways. Like you have meanwhile, some, we're also some challenges playing second in, in the league and we're playing uh, third in the league. But okay, yeah. so Roma, what do you mean? <laughs> Listen, Come on, I, son. I'm I'm a negative. I'm I'm a negative Nancy right now. Just you don't say. You do not say. <laughs> that is that is surprising to hear. Let's look a little bit, uh, just more generally at what we got coming up this weekend. Uh, in England, we already talked about uh, some some big games to watch: Bournemouth versus Leeds, uh, Manchester United versus Aston Villa. By the way, uh, you know, a game with some some European stakes now with the way Aston Villa have been playing. They have found themselves now in the top six. Um, you know, so they'll be hoping to get some results out there. Liverpool against Tottenham, that's a big one. Uh, always kind of is, always always gives a lot of uh, big moments and some goals, those games. Always a little bit of uh, stuff to peel away with. And Leicester against Everton, um, that's obviously a big one when you consider the, you know, the, the relegation battle. Arsenal versus Chelsea next Tuesday, a classic as it always is. Arsenal going to look to to rebound. And, and put some demons behind them by playing against a team that they have quite a few demons with. So that is, uh, this is not the, the best pick-me-up to have after uh, potentially losing uh, losing the title over the weekend. Um, we talked about some of the games that some of the Syria uh, bottom feeders have to look forward to, but we also got some pretty good, you know, Roma-Milan, of course, but Torino-Atalanta, Inter against Lazio. I mean, you've got some... Uh, Got some good stuff to look forward to. Juventus Bologna, of course, could see Napoli clinch the title uh, as well against Udinese. So that is also look. I'm sorry, against Salernitana. I would, I would probably watch that match just to see the celebrations afterwards too. It, it it's gonna give off like the same vibe, like almost the same vibe because it's not the last match day, but it's gonna give off the same vibe of like Milan away to. Uh, Sassuolo and the entire stadium was just Milan fans. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you knew it was coming. Is this a home game for Napoli? Uh, is this a home game for yes, Napoli? Yes, it is. That, yeah. Oh, so. my God. Yeah, I would. that's that's must-see TV. You have to watch that one. 9 a.m. April 29th. Watch it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely going to be a good atmosphere. Um, anything to say before we get out of here? Um... I made it through without spitting out my drink. I'm happy you're still here with us in if, so many ways. If this was the old Xbox 360 days, I'd get an achievement for that, a new achievement unlocked. I got to tell you, truly one of the, the biggest dopamine hits you can get is not just the Xbox <laughs> achievement, the diamond one when it's like less than, uh, I don't know yeah. what the, the threshold is, but it's like less than, I don't know, like 5% of other players have gotten that. That. Remember. Face in. Remember the website? There's a website where you could put your gamer tag in, 
and it would adjust the the score for for your gamer score like based off of how rare the achievement was so like it would be like oh hey like this is what your your gamer score is but this is what your actual gamer score is because you have this and i used to be obsessed with that yeah, I, used to, I, I, used to, I used to play every game hunting achievements. That, I mean, that is, that, is, that is a real thing, you know? Like I, I think it did, it did definitely encourage people to maybe uh, explore the games a little more. So, so shout out to uh, a little bit of nostalgia there. Man, we've, we're coming towards the end of it, brother. But even then, not really. We still have almost a, a month, pretty much, of, of domestic leagues. Um, and then we'll have the FA Cup. Uh, and the Champions League to look forward to. Uh, do we have Italian, any summer, of course. Any summer competitions? Uh, no, but we do have the Euros next summer. Uh, so that is exciting. No women's competition? Uh, actually, no, it is the Women's World Cup this summer, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, it is. The Women's World Cup is this summer. So uh, we do have that to look forward to. I think that's also in, where is that? I want to say that's in England. It could be, uh, it could be off my mind there, but I want to say that is in, uh, Oh, nope, never mind. Australia, Australia New Zealand. What was it? So, oh, the Euros. Uh, the women's so the Euros games are going to be in the early morning. Yeah. Late night, early morning games. Love it. Well, normally they'll do what they do for like the uh, the Men's World Cup where it, it, it might happen, but it gets like uh, you know, like TV broadcast at a different mm-hmm. time. Or like what they do with the Olympics on, uh, in occasion. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to the, the U.S. Um uh, where the where they end up because uh, I'm actually looking at the groups. Where are you, the U.S. U.S. in Group E with uh, the United States, Vietnam, Netherlands. That's a tough one. And then the very good women's team and uh, Portugal. No walkovers necessarily either, but that's you know the easiest group, the easiest group to navigate. But you know, come on. Come on. So my Go last on. my last question since we're on the topic of women's football. Who do you think has more drama, the women's French national team or the men's French national team? Because like the right women's, now, the women's right side right has murder for hire. Like, yeah, right <laughs> now the, the women's, uh, you did have that whole scandal. Um, and I think they have it, – it, it goes in cycles. I think the men's is more like – and this is, I think, a problem with some of the, the players in the women's French team is like image rights. You know, they want to be able to uh, kind of have say in – who they're advertising for and what kind of cut they get percentages and all that. I know that's one of Mbappe's uh, kind of big, big landmark things that he's working on. Um, yeah. There's something about the French national teams, both the men and the women that always seems to attract some sort of not quite bond tier plot, but like a, like mate straight to DVD kind of tier plot where it's like, how is this real? How is this real life? How are we really here? Um, so, yeah. Looking the, forward to that. The French women's league's got some crazy shit too going on. PSG is like under investigation every other week. It's crazy. Well, you know, I, the 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 women's uh, landscape is dominated by by Barcelona, uh, who just uh, who just win constantly. I just <laughs> truly, truly, just an unreal team. We'll be back next week to wrap it all up. The weekend's action. What we got in store. Until then, we'll talk to you next time.